just recapping the previous two chapters, uh, where if you remember in week chapter one, we talked about the shame spiral that Jonah was in as he struggled with his own disobedience. And we talked about the role that silence, secrecy, and the fear of judgment had as he walked in dis- disobedience. And we concluded that, the, that the, the best way out of our shame spirals are to reject the notion of perfectionism, replace silence with vulnerability, and reach out to one another. And then two weeks ago, as we unpacked Jonah chapter 2, we talked about rest as a gift from God. Then rest that ultimately leads us each into spiritual renewal. And we discover that as Jonah rested inside the fish, he experienced three phases within his own soul. Revelation, response, and recalibration. And we see in in chapter 2 how Jonah began to reprioritize his life into this posture of rejoicing, repentance, and restoration. And we talked about four ways that you and I can practice rest on a regular basis. Pouring over God's word. Prayer practicing Sabbath, and playing with other people. And so this morning, as we enter chapter 3, this is the the climax of Jonah's narrative. For Jonah, as he began to, to answer God's call, he knew the destructive choices and disrespect and cruelty that defined who the Ninevites were. And the thought of, of loving them seemed like an outright impossibility. And it got me wondering, how many of us have people in our own lives who we struggle with how to love appropriately as well? Maybe people who are in our lives that are judgmental or rude, or of different beliefs or philosophies in life that we may not, know, we may not agree with. Or maybe we have people in our life who are going through such difficult and painful seasons that we just aren't sure how to love them in the midst of it. Who is that person in your life? I have a friend who, uh, when I first met him, he was in grade 12. And he had grown up in the church, and and his parents had gone to church. But during that time, he had seen enough in his family and in the church to, to, to really grow cynical in his faith. And when I met him, he was this angry, angry young man. And he was bitter, and he was hurting, and it came out in all forms of his life started with self-harm, and then a porn and sex addiction, and it quickly moved into drugs and alcohol. Throughout the time that I knew him during this, this first season of his life, we would have conversations, and he would ask questions, and, and, and I'd listen to his story and listen to him share and help him to process some of the things that he had experienced in his life. And I have to admit, it was incredibly frustrating to to watch this young man who had so much potential just waste it away, just throw it away. And it seemed like he would take one step forward and two steps back. And it just seemed like any time there was progression or advancement, it just seemed to be undone with another decision. And then through our conversations, I always hoped and prayed that eventually he would just say yes to Jesus. I knew he wanted to follow Jesus. But I also knew that following Jesus for him was incredibly difficult. And I appreciated his honesty and transparency as he and I journeyed through his own processing together. And we, he would debate and he would ask questions and, and we would explore faith together. 
Till one day I sat, we had coffee together. He had coffee. I, I watched him drink it. One day he said, I want to get baptized. And I thought, yes, this is it. This is the moment he finally said yes to Jesus. So thrilled for him. After he was baptized, he continued to struggle, continued to work through what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to, to say yes to Jesus in the world that he lives in? I met with him about a year later, and he told me that him and his girlfriend were expecting a baby. Okay. Recognizing that there was this tension in his life, we began to talk and walk through what it might look like for them to get married. How do we how do we redeem this moment? How do we reconcile these things? So as we, be, as we began to walk together, eight months into her pregnancy, I was able to perform their wedding. And over the course of those eight months and then five months later, God was beginning to do something in their lives, individually and as a couple. God was beginning to shape, shape them and beginning to move them more into, into what he wanted them to be. Five months later, I was able to dedicate their son to the Lord. As they both stood in front of the church and they both declared openly that they wanted to serve and honor God and wanted to raise their kids that way. Three years later, I was able to, ded I was able to dedicate their second son. And year after year, I began to watch this transformation take place in this young couple where they started out as so angry and so broken and suddenly God was beginning to move in them, and they began to say yes to Jesus more and more. He started a Christ-centered Christian rock band. She started volunteering in the youth ministry that I led. He started leading in worship ministries in our church. And over time, as, and over time God began to shape them in some pretty incredible ways as they, as they said yes to Jesus. So who is that person in your life? Who is that person that you struggle with, but you know or you think you know that God has probably placed them in your life for a reason? Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a spouse or a sibling or a neighbor or a coworker. Who is that person that God has brought into your life so that you can reflect the character of Jesus into There's a, a, a doctor from Wheaton, University, Wheaton College in Chicago. He created this, this scale. It's pretty creative, right? And he developed this scale that I think is helpful as we begin to understand the spiritual journey that all of us are on. And he concluded that people that make a decision to follow Jesus, that, that make that, that deciding decision to, 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 to be... To, let me try that again. He concluded that people who make a decision to place their salvation and life in Jesus were at the zero marker. And, that as, they, and, as, and as they continue to grow and as they begin to move to be more like Jesus, they begin to move this way, to the right of the zero. And over time, that, that progression begins to occur where they continue to advance farther and way, farther away from the, the initial decision to follow Jesus and into a deeper knowing of Jesus. Now, of course, on the left, my marker's not very good, apparently. On the left, that would be people who haven't yet made a decision yet. 
Maybe we have people like my friend who are maybe are in the, in the negative one or negative two category who are asking lots of questions, really trying to work through what it means to follow Jesus, but, but yet haven't made a decision yet. Now, we might say that someone like, someone like the Ninevites, for example, might be, they might be, you know, maybe over here somewhere, in the negative five, negative ten, whatever that might be. Someone who is openly disinterested or is actually just opposed to God would be farther away from that decision, but they're somewhere over here. Now, this scale is, is just meant to be a simple way to reflect our own growth patterns as disciples of Jesus. Jonah, over the course of the previous two chapters, has gone through his own progression along this scale. And as we begin to read Jonah chapter 3, there's three things that happen in that chapter that help us to understand how you and I can live, how you and I can love those that are difficult to love. Personal transformation, partnership with God, and purpose beyond ourselves. It's in chapter 3 that we begin to see how God has given Jonah a renewed sense of purpose for the priorities of God. <clears throat> this renewed purpose is revealed to us when we read verse 1. It comes out right at the, right out, right out the beginning. Verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The second time. And the way that this third chapter starts, I think, pivots the entire narrative of Jonah as we read the final two chapters, where everything that we, that we read in the previous two chapters swings significantly in that first verse. These three words, the second time. And I think these three words might be the most hopeful words in this entire book where we begin to get a glimpse into the personal transformation that has occurred in Jonah. And we realize that God hasn't yet given up on Jonah. Despite all the things that have taken place in the previous two chapters, God says, I'm not finished with you yet. And these words remind us that no one is beyond the redemptive work of Jesus. Jesus can still transform the most hardened and opposed people, wherever you are on this side of the spectrum. Because of Jonah's personal transformation, it, cha it, has, it changed the trajectory of his life. And it reveals to us that the path of disobedience and defiance can't outrun the grace of God that he offers to each of us. God loves each of us too much to leave you and I where we're at, regardless of where you are on that scale. Jonah's message was a message of hopeful anticipation that the Ninevites would be transformed and made holy in the sight of God. The word Jonah uses here to describe transformation is a Hebrew word, it's hafak. There's more Hebrew in that pronunciation than what I can offer, but uh, more phlegm involved. But in verse 4, Jonah says this in his, in his proclamation. In 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown, or in some translations, overturned. The Hebrew word that's used here for overthrown is hafak. It's implying significant transformation will be happening. Now, we see this word used frequently in the Old Testament, but it generally has two, two different functions. Ultimately, though, carries the same result, holiness. Two different functions, but carries the same result, which is holiness. 
The first time that we see the word hafak used in, in the Old Testament is in Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19 is the chapter of Sodom and Gomorrah. This, is a, this was an expression of judgment that God had issued over these two cities, destroying them entirely. That's pretty drastic transformation. The second expression is more related to the idea of changing something from one thing to another. So, for example, the, the Nile being turned into blood in Exodus chapter 7. The Red Sea being turned into dry land in Exodus 14. The healing of a leprous man into a person, someone who is non-leprous, Leviticus 13. The transformation that we see throughout the Old Testament with this language, Hephaq, was always with the anticipation of holiness. And the response from the, from the Ninevites was no different. And their immediate response to Jonah's proclamation is to change out of their clothes, put sackcloth, and sit in the dust. Or in some translations it says ashes. They don't only do it to themselves, but they do it to their animals as well. Contextually, anytime that we see sackcloth and ashes referenced in the Old Testament, this is an act of repentance that's being shown. Sackcloth is, is a coarse, black goat's hair and was considered incredibly uncomfortable, as you would imagine. And the ashes signify desolation and ruin. And so they put on the sackcloth. Think of that in the Mediterranean heat, Middle Eastern heat. And so sackcloth and ashes were this visible expression then of a person's heart condition because of the humility that they began to, to visibly make known in the brokenness in their own life. Can you imagine if we did that today? Had our labeled what we are, what we're, what our struggles are. And the sackcloth and ashes became a tremendous expression of vulnerability. Something, of course, that the Ninevites weren't exactly known for. But they did it with the hopeful anticipation that, that they would avoid the judgment that was coming for them. Now we also know that the previous two chapters, Jonah had his own hafak moment in the fish. His own transformative moment in the fish. Through Jonah's own repentance in chapter 2, we begin to see in Jonah this heightened sensitivity to the Spirit of God and God's priorities in his life. And it was through Jonah's rest with God that he was able to listen and speak with God and begin to align his heart with the things of God, the priorities of God. Where God's love becomes this, this catalyst for Jonah's actions. As we talked about the first week, there's a number of different reasons why Jonah probably wasn't too thrilled about going to Nineveh. Probably very similar reasons why you and I wouldn't want to go to Nineveh either if it was us. God's priorities, what we begin to see in Jonah is that when we make God's priorities our priorities, we don't get to decide who to love. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. John 15.12 My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Romans 13.8 Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 1 John 4.12 no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 
1 John 4, 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And these are just five scriptures that, that are threaded throughout scripture that guide our lives when it comes to love, when it comes to how we engage with other people. It doesn't say, you know, just cherry pick the easy ones. Cherry pick the ones that are easy to love. In fact, it actually says the opposite. This is Jesus, Luke chapter 6. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to anyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you, ex you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. God's priority is life changed through the redemptive power of his love. And he calls all of us to love others too. We are called to a purpose beyond ourselves. Because let's be honest, there are some people that we don't always want to love. We don't get to decide who to love and not to love. It's not our responsibility to discern that part. You and I are called to faithfulness, just like Jonah, living out the priorities of God and his kingdom, trusting that the fruit of our obedience will be shown when the Spirit of God is at work in people's lives. Jonah shows us that our ability or our inability to love others is actually a heart issue that either enables us to love or prevents us from doing so. Outside of God, Jonah was unable to love the Ninevites. He's unable to see through God's lens the, his, the importance of loving others. But when Jonah began to align himself with God, began to align himself with the will of God, he began to see people with a different, different priority, a different lens than what he was looking through initially. And he became much more open to saying yes to God in his life. The reality is, is that this morning, God has given you and I the responsibility today to steward our relationships well and represent him. God has brought the people in each of our lives for a reason. And one of those reasons is to reflect the love of God through our lives. So let me go back to my initial question. Who are the people God has brought into your life? Who are the people that God has brought into your life? I think there's two different categories of people. There's passing people and there's permanent people. Passing people are, are those people who we, maybe we only meet them once or twice in our life. 
Maybe a stranger standing in line at the bank. Maybe a cashier at a grocery store. Admittedly, most likely we aren't going to lead those passing people into into this point here, into into a new relationship with Jesus Christ. But perhaps we might be one of those many people that God might use to, to, to maybe affirm a conversation that they've heard somewhere, maybe to affirm what God has been speaking to them about, but they're just too afraid to take that next step. Maybe God wants to use you to move, help, move one, help move someone one step closer to Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, some plant seeds, some water. Those passing people, you might be planting a seed of Jesus into someone's life simply by the way that you love them. Simply by the way that you engage in conversation with them. Simply by the way that you dialogue with them. Don't underestimate the power of a simple gesture of love in someone's life. Now permanent people are those in your family, close relationships, close friends, maybe co-workers, Permanent people are are more long-term relationships where we're with those people for extended periods of time. I got to say, it's easy to get impatient with those people because we see those people and we think they're not moving as fast as we want. They're not making, they're not getting here yet. They're over here somewhere. They're not there. What's wrong with them? They just don't seem to get it. And it can become really, we can get really impatient and be disappointed by that. And we just so desperately want to see them transformed by Jesus. And the reason for that is because we love them. And for those permanent people in our lives, I want to remind you that you might have to wait a long time before that family member or that friend is ready to choose to follow Jesus. But until that time, we can't force it or manipulate them into decisions to follow Jesus. All you and I can do is reflect the love of Jesus through our lives. So I want to conclude with this last thought. As I, as I read 1 Corinthians 3, some plant seeds, some water, Paul concludes with this. But only God makes things grow. It is absolutely critical that we are praying for the permanent and passing people in our lives. And as we do that, that we are obediently loving others the same way that we have experienced that love in ourselves from Jesus. As we are prayerfully present with Jesus, we have to trust that it's God that makes people grow. It's only him that brings about transformation. It was never Jonah's responsibility to change the people of Nineveh. It was never his responsibility to make them holy or to overthrow them. His job was just simply to obey God and let God work through him now. God calls each of us to faithfulness. That's it. Faithful obedience. And out of that, the Spirit changes and shapes the people that we love. Regardless of whether you and I agree with all the choices that the people around us make, we are still called to love them and reflect his character. The choices they make don't change the fact that Jesus loved them enough to die for them as well. It doesn't matter where they are on this spectrum or on this side. Jesus loved them enough to die for them. 
You might be the voice of a second chance that someone needs to have. Just like Jonah, when when God said, I'm speaking to you a second time, you might be that second time that God is using to speak into someone's life. Don't give up on them. So who are the people in your lives that we can reflect Jesus to today? As you reflect on that name, that face, that relationship. I'd encourage you to consider that perhaps you might have an opportunity to move someone one notch along that scale in some way. All it takes is a yes from you to be willingly used by Jesus today. Over the course of this summer, we're going, to spend some, we're going to provide opportunities for both of those types of relationships, the passing people and the permanent people. This is our response to this, to this narrative of Jonah. How do we love people that we're not sure how to love? How do we love people that are struggling? How do we love people that, that we don't agree with? How do we love people that we may not like? This morning, I, I, uh, I, I was on Facebook, and... Uh, and I, I'm, I'm on a few different buy and sells on Facebook. And so I like to check out what, people are, what junk people are selling. And, but in, in this one buy and sell, there was this guy that, that posted this, this long note saying, I've been going through a hard time. Things are so hard for me right now. And, and I'm alone, and I'm discouraged, and I'm broken. And I just want someone to talk to. I just want someone to hang out with. I just want someone to spend time with me. And, and I, feel like I'm, I feel like I'm just hopeless. And there was two things that were surprised me in the responses. One was the compassion that I saw in people. Where people responded and said, call this number. They'll be able to help you. They'll be, able, they'll be a great resource for you in your time of need. The other was this. The number of people that, that, came, that responded and said, I know exactly how you feel. I know the brokenness that you're experiencing. I've been there. I'm still there. You're not alone. There's people in our world, there's people in our church that are struggling, that need to be loved. And sometimes we put on masks. Sometimes we hide it. We have a responsibility as the church, as as representatives of Jesus Christ, to love others. So, first thing we can do is we can pray for them. We want to pray that God would transform us and transform our community in the way that God transformed Jonah and transformed Nineveh. That God would begin to move and that people in this community would begin to move along this scale. So starting this Thursday, coming up real quick, we're going to do a prayer walk here at the church. We're going to meet at seven o'clock I think this might be a really eye-opening experience for many of us as we begin to walk through our community immediately around this church and begin to look at people through the lens of Jesus, begin to identify what are the needs, how are the conversations, what are the people like in our, in our community around our church. And as we do that, we would begin to pray for them, that we would begin to listen for ways that the Spirit might be calling each of us as the church to engage the needs around us. That's the first thing we're going to do. And in just under two weeks, we have our stampede breakfast. 
This isn't just a, you know, a, a breakfast where we're just giving away free food. This is an opportunity for us as the church to steward the passing people that God has brought our way and potentially deepen the, the permanent ones as well or create permanent ones as well. I want, you to, I want to invite you to be a part of that. To come and, and just be present in what we're doing. It's important that you are there. And you get pancakes too. <laughs> if you want to be in a more formalized role, where you will most certainly have opportunities to engage in meaningful conversations, where you have opportunities to show love in very tangible ways, we would love you to contribute in those ways. I believe that the Stampede Breakfast could be the first step in a long series of steps in helping people move towards what it means to be transformed by Jesus Christ, moving them closer to a decision to follow Jesus. We can't offer the bells and whistles that a lot of other Stampede Breakfasts can offer, but what we can offer is love. We can offer relationship. We can offer a welcoming hand. We can offer a smile. We can offer hope. That's why we do these things. And then in a month, in August, we have a soccer vacation Bible school where we want to see kids begin to move through this progression of scale. We want to see, see kids get to that zero point and beyond as, as they have their lives overthrown by Jesus. That's important to me. It's important to this church. But the love of Jesus transcends cultural, age, economic barriers. You don't need to be able to play soccer. If you love kids, we want you here. If you love Jesus, great, we want you here too. And then lastly, immediately after I'm done talking, we're going to have a special offering. We're going to spend some time just in prayer. Asking God, what is my financial response to this? Because these are initiatives that, that we hadn't budgeted in our 2019 budget. And so we're going to spend some time just praying. God, what is my yes in this moment? What is my yes to answer the call to love others? Church, what might God be calling you into as we begin to engage as a church in some of these exciting initiatives this summer? So I'm going to pray. Maybe, I'm not sure how we're going to do this. I hadn't really thought this far through. Um, so maybe we'll get some of the, couple of the worship guys to come on up and just, uh, I'm going to pray, and then maybe some of the musical guys could play some music while we receive the offering. But let me pray, and then, uh, and then we'll receive our offering, and we'll have a closing song as well.